Welcome to episode 49 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar, Mark Sharon, Stephen Slate, and I will be talking today about how people break free from the addiction, treatment, and recovery trap. We're the co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction and offers a real solution that's individual-centered. There are two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes, and that's at our beautiful St. Jude Retreat or through our at-home Freedom Model private instruction program, which we do via video conference. You can get information about our retreat at soberforever.net and thefreedommodel.org and about our at-home Freedom Model private instruction program at leaveaddictionbehind.com. Mark, what are we going to talk about today? Well, years ago, I wrote an article or a piece for the website, I can't remember which, um, called The Control Model. And, um, you know, when I see, when I look at addiction um, and all that goes with it in our society, uh, one of the predominant themes that I was able to look at and see was the fact that the industry, as an industry of helping people, is based in controlling people. Mm-hmm. It's not based in allowing people to make decisions for themselves. And um, there's reasons for that that we're going to discuss today. Um, but there's, it, it goes deeper than that. The control model, it, it's, it's really rampant at this point. You have things like um, people being pushed into treatment, uh, you know, Baker Act somebody. Right? Yeah. Um, things that, that maybe... F- 30, 40 years ago would have been seen as incomprehensible in society, that nobody would think that you could be, um, you know, pushed into a, an institution without your consent. You know, that's scary stuff. Yeah. And in Massachusetts, um, the one, the, the state rehab that they send you to, that they mandate you to, if people complain and they say you're an addict, it's in a prison. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, you, you don't have rights. This is scary stuff. I want, can I just, I want people to really, I think people take that for granted sometimes that, well, you know, these people are killing themselves with drugs. I want you to imagine that you're doing something that you love to do and it might be dangerous. Maybe it's riding motorcycles. Maybe you're racing motorcycles. Okay. There you go. And, and, but you're, you're racing motor. That's what you're doing. And your mother doesn't like it. It scares her. And so she goes to the court, she petitions the court and says that you are incompetent, that you can't make decisions for yourself because you like this activity and you do this activity. So we're going to incarcerate you. Now, they used to do this for homosexuality. They used to do this for all kinds of things. That's right. Okay? And it seemed like we were moving in a direction where we weren't doing that for people. And now all of a sudden, with substance use, if somebody deems that you are using too much or using a substance they don't approve of or whatever it is you're doing, and yes, maybe you're putting your life at risk, but you do that with a lot of things, we're going to imprison you so that we can try and save you from yourself. Yeah. So I want everybody to understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about... A behavior that hurts no one but the individual doing it, and sometimes doesn't even hurt them, right? And then we're saying, you can't do this. I'm not going to let you do this. Clearly, you're incompetent because you like this thing, and so we're going to imprison you. Yeah, so the question is, how did we get here, right? I mean, that's so outrageous. It is. And scary. It is. Um, That's Gestapo stuff, right? 
Um, how do you get from uh, a free society to one that can incarcerate people against their will? For a behavior. For a behavior. For the opinion of those that are around you that are more quote-unquote sane than you are, right. which is totally subjective, right? Yeah. Um, so how did we get here? And it's an interesting thing because it all starts with, and I've said this for years, that if you have a premise, a premise, an underlying foundation of an idea that's false, everything that goes downstream of that premise becomes infected by that. Yes. And sometimes, like a stream, it kind of gets diluted out and then you get back to the truth. But most of the time what happens is that stream gets thicker and thicker with the lie because it gets doubled down on. So how did it start? It started with the, the mythology of loss of control. If you can teach people two fundamental things, if you can teach society that people are fragile and that they're out of control, that they aren't thinking for themselves when they're on drugs, then, every, then it becomes plausible that you can institutionalize somebody for it. Mm. You see, because it's really not them. They're out of control. They're, they're, they're mad. Their they're brain is sick. Yes. Yeah. They're, well, they're... <clears throat> what's her name? Uh, Rebecca Tiger. She wrote this book, Judging Addicts. And she was a big believer in the disease model of addiction when she worked for the city government, I think, in New York. Mm -hmm. And she thought it would help people to get treatment. And she sat and analyzed the system. And, and <laughs> she's like, this is really just justifying more and more overreach into these people's lives and right. controlling them in every which way. And, it, you know, and she pinpointed the disease model as the thing. The idea, the, the idea that people are out of control, that's the thing that justifies coming in on this. So when, when I went to treatment, I, the way I learned this was, was my own personal experience where I was mandated, right? I, I had a DWI. I was 18 years old. They put me in treatment. They put me in intensive outpatient. So I was at this clinic in a mental hospital, by the way, where the door would close behind me and lock and with the buzzer, mm -hmm. right? Just like a prison. And I would spend eight, eight hours a day, six to eight hours a day, sitting there in group and waiting rooms and things like that. Um, and they would say over and over again, with me specifically, that I had to admit powerlessness. Now, it was an 18-month long, you know, push Mm -hmm. for me to acquiesce to that, to give in, to say, yes, I am powerless. It took me 18 months to finally be like, okay, I believe this. They worked on me for that long, and I had no freedom until I admitted that. But what's, what's interesting is the day I finally gave in and felt powerless, literally felt powerless, it was the day they released me. And but But what's so insidious about that is that I believed it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really believed it. And that's crushing. Because when I entered treatment, I didn't believe it at all. And I was like, no way. You're never going to break me. And I was only supposed to be there for a year. And it ended up just going on and on and on. It just kept re-upping me because I had no rights. That is what they do in concentration camps with propaganda. Yep. That's exactly yep. what happens to people. Yeah. Okay, so so this is really scary stuff. But we we do, Michelle. You said it. People take it for granted. They say, "Oh, it's just it's for his own good." It's for his own good. We're helping. I mean, it it almost killed me, you mm -hmm. know. So, um, I almost committed suicide right after I got out of treatment because I felt so low about the fact that I couldn't even trust my own thoughts, um, which is an incredibly sick thing to do to somebody. So so this control model isn't a harmless sort of no. movement to help people. 
And here's what's equally screwed up about it. It, it also, the benefit on the other end, meaning the people that are the helpers, the benefit is that it's a black and white answer. That anytime they would say, I'd say, well, why did I behave this way? Well, you're an addict. Well, how am I an addict? Well, that's because you're addicted. I mean, it was this sort of endless one answer thing, you know? Or if I denied it and said, no, I'm not, then I'm in denial. So every road, no matter what angle I would take, it always ended up where I was screwed up. Yeah. And that's that's debilitating to a level that's unbelievable so there's a quiet genocide that's happening in America where people are dying from this needlessly so the answer is uh, the facts which we give in our podcast so I don't go ahead. any thoughts on any of this you guys yeah I remember you writing about this maybe the 10th edition of the book yeah that's where Gosh, it started yeah I think so right and the 11th 11th primary the 11th? I think we yeah. that's when we coined the freedom model yeah oh okay um I mean, I wasn't around during those years, but I remember getting a copy, right? Yeah. Like, I remember that Daniel sent me a copy. The 11th was like, edition oh, was a good. huge, that was that was a huge, like... That's where AA ended. Ended. The 10th edition, it. like, we threw out... 10th edition, I think, still had little smatterings of it, but the 11th edition was, was a leap. Yeah. It was a leap. So, I think... Here's the, th- here, here's the thing... Um, it it is controlling. I've laid out in the in the back of the book uh, a big part of the charade um, is in Appendix A. It's about loss of control. Yes. And they make you agree to this idea uh, so that they can then they've sort of got you. You know what I mean? Which is like, oh, okay, you admitted you have loss of control, yep. which means you can never have a drink again. So. Now you're basically accepting the goal of abstinence. Yes. And, right? That and, that's what you have to aspire to and make happen and stick to. And right? the acceptance that there are people that know better for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That you're now a minion of other people's opinions and quote unquote research and training and expertise. And not yeah. a funny minion. Right. No, yeah, yeah. Not, not a not funny the cute yellow little, little yellow dude. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but so this, I I always think you know I maybe I'm wrong about this, but I look from the things from the early AA people that I read is that they kind of knew that this powerlessness thing was a charade. Yes. But it was a beneficial charade to them because it covered up for all their wrongdoings. That's my impression. Yeah. I don't know. For sure, you've read more of them than me. Mm-hmm. Am I right on that? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you can go into this, you know, we, we could, I guess we could talk all day long about how it's set up to control people. Um, but you can go in there not knowing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not knowing that it's a charade. Right. And, you know... All they're trying to do is discipline you and make you go along with the program. And like, you know, like you being held extra time until you would say you were powerless. Right. I had a guy 10 years ago, maybe that that you sent me that I did like some private coaching with. Yeah. And he had had a drunk driving charge. And um, I think it, it had been like five years since he got the drunk driving charge and he hadn't gotten his license back. Yeah. Yeah. Because... He wouldn't like keep to going to AA meetings right. or something like that, yeah. Yeah. and um, the per- whoever needed to sign off on that wouldn't do it because he wasn't really, you know, trying to recover. 
or whatever. It was some weird, yeah, fucked up situation. So that's where, incredibly like, common, actually. Yeah. yeah, that these people go through. And right um, what? So you can go in there not understanding that this is a disciplinarian system meant to make you just fall in line. It actually doesn't matter all that much whether you drink or do drugs or not. What matters is that you go along and that you parrot everything. You say what you're supposed to say. That's right. You know, you pretend that you don't want to drink, you don't want to do the drugs, but you're just forced and compelled to do it, right? And it's putting on an act for your family, for the state, um, for yourself (laughs) sometimes. Yeah. Right? It's like the whole thing. And you go in there not knowing it. And you're like, you start to think like, well, the world, are all these people crazy? I must be crazy. Because here's a thousand other people saying that we have no control and we really don't want to do this, but we're forced to by our disease. And so maybe I'm the one who's crazy. And you don't realize how many people are gaming it and just playing along. Right, and the you majority. But you don't realize how many of the counselors kind of know it's a charade as well. And they're just filling out papers. Oh, yeah, here's your aftercare plan. You're going to go to but meetings. I, but and- I, think it's, I think it's a little more nuanced than that because some... I, you, you describe it as a charade, and I agree with that. But I think there's also, they're not quite sure that it's a charade. Well, right? yeah. No, you know yeah. I mean? you know I know, I mean? yeah. know, I know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I That's why I say the... I think some know it. Yeah. And some don't, really, and both sides, and both ends, and the staff, and the people that are there. They just um, know something's amiss, right? You're going through and I've seen it. I've seen it with counselors I had, oh, yeah. with therapists I had. I would ask very pointed questions and they'd stumble. Yeah. And then I could see the fear in their eyes like, why is this kid asking this question? You know. And I'll tell you, at, at the place I was at, at the mental hospital there, um, mental health uh, facility, um, I, would, I would just ask pointed questions that I knew everybody in the room was thinking. Mm-hmm. And I could tell because I would ask the question in group. I just kind of cut in and be like, why is, you know, how is it a disease or whatever it might be. And everybody would get uncomfortable. To your point, they would get uncomfortable because they knew they weren't supposed to ask it. Yeah. They weren't quite sure that it was a charade. They, they, they were afraid to say, you know, this doesn't make sense to me either. Like on its face, the whole disease thing, everybody in that room, every single person knew that they had stopped at one time or another or yeah. multiples of times, right? I've never met an quote-unquote addict or alcoholic that didn't stop at some point or have an event happen where they slowed down on their own. And then they're told that doesn't happen. Yeah. And you're going, eh, really? Right. It doesn't yeah. it? It's a chronic progressive disease. It just You just right. go, you're a zombie. You keep getting worse and worse and worse. It, doing this yeah it's a really it's a really strange thing but what i was getting at is if you you go in and you take it seriously it's disturbing yeah you know and i would i want other people to see it as i do now which is that it's a charade don't don't take it seriously yeah you know what i mean yeah there's no fact involved it it really is just some motions to go through. Um, you're part of a uh, client base. Um, you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, you're you're part of a financial model. Yeah, I, like I mean, that, you have you, to you think really of it are. like the prison system, right? We all know it would be a long time before all drugs become legalized because 
there's correctional officers, judges, lawyers, right? There's, there's a lot a of people bought into that system. Industry and all kinds of bureaucrats that are dependent on that. For, okay. So for anybody, any politician to make a move to dismantle the, the, the drug prohibition, they're going to, they're, they're, they can't even, that's, that's an unthinkable move for them. In the same way that being in that room and saying, I don't really think this is a disease is, a, you know, an unthinkable thing that you're not, you're not supposed to say. I think that, that the system, when you look at it, people ask me all the time in class. They read the freedom model and they're amazed. Mm-hmm. They're just amazed because it says the things that they've been thinking. And, and then they're also wondering, they'll ask the question after they're amazed, they go, how come this isn't everywhere? How come the freedom model isn't everywhere? And that is a really great question. I can answer it. And the reason is, is because of what Steve just described, which is there's a massive money-making system. Now, it's not a diabolical system where there's a grand master up here. Yeah, this isn't conspiracy. This is something that happens as a result of, of like... 70 in, years of the yes, wrong idea. Yes, yes. And uh, the various incentives involved in institutions, once they get big and once they get going, are really resistant to change. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It demands usually when they get this large that they collapse on themselves. You know, when the supporting structure, it's like a mushroom, when the, the head of the mushroom gets too big, it topples, right? I mean, you see that in nature all the time. And when the expenses get too large and it becomes too ineffective, it falls apart. Unfortunately, in this, in this belief system called addiction and treatment, it's a religion. It's literally a belief system that is, you go against it and people's heads fly off. They freak out um, because there's, there's real incentive for the participant to be a victim. And the incentive is, geez, I don't have to participate in society to the same level that other people have to. And that is attractive to some people. To a yeah. lot of the people in that system. It wasn't to me, though. Mm-hmm. It is for a little while. I, right. think, I think eventually it gets cumbersome and restricting. And, and devastating. Yeah. Even, right? Where you, you're watching your buddies die. You're yeah. watching people in AA go in and out until they die. Yeah. And you're going, man, I, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't understand. But then you're in deep. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking this, then you double down yourself. You're trying even harder to do the steps, to listen to your counselor. You get the therapist and they're saying the same shit over and over. And you're going, this isn't working. This isn't working. I don't know what's wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with you. It's you don't fit into the system that's lying to you. <laughs> that, that just right. isn't you're based in facts. In. You're, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, something seems wrong. I, I can remember when I first got sober in AA, which was... 1990 and I was with a group of women and they all got remember they all got jobs at yes. Alcoholism Council of Schenectady yeah right and so and I worked at Proctor's Theater which was right next door and so I would see them sometimes at lunchtime and I can remember one of them was like uh, this this was a woman who wanted to be my sponsor so bad <laughs> but she wasn't but she was like you need to come work for us you'd make a great counselor and I actually had you know, I was almost finished with a psych degree. And uh, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I Like, something about it was... It was bizarre. It was, like, it was that. wrong. I'm like, I, I definitely, I probably, I don't probably had been sober, like, in a, maybe it was a year by then. Maybe it was 91. 
and and I was like, and and she she took offense to it, yeah. but you know, I was like, I I I I didn't like I don't think that works what you're doing. I think it's yeah. hurting people. So yeah, I I was like, what you're doing, I don't think it helps people. I think that you're not giving them the right information, and even then, I. I kind of knew that, like I knew there was something about that. And I was like, I will never be a counselor. Yeah. Like, uh, like they all got their certifications, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really a popular thing to do primarily because people believe, well, I got to give it away to keep it. Well, I, yeah. let me jump in on that. Yeah. People don't realize that this whole thing started with a model that Bill Wilson built in Towns Hospital in New York. And the way they did it in the very early, in 1935, before the big book existed or any of their, their stuff existed, it was basically a first century Christian cult that they're involved in. And so they would set a, a, basically a hospital bed um, in some closet at Towns Hospital because nobody wanted to deal with drunks. But Bill was friends with the doctors there and said, set, set this bed aside for us. We'll bring the drunk in, you detox him, and while he's at his lowest point, we're going to do what's called ego deflation. Basically, they're going to hammer this guy until he believes as they believe, right. at his most vulnerable. They would basically remove his wife from the room, or family. They would go in and they'd say, would you like to be a part of this organization that we have, which was the Oxford Group at that time? And the person was like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, well, we're all sober, and you need to do this or you're going to die. That's where this whole idea came yes. from. And you have a disease. And uh, you have an allergy to alcohol. And then they would hammer the guy for a series of days. And it might take up to a week to do this. They would deflate him. Okay? So, which is where the whole theory of breaking somebody down to build them back up again and treatment came from. Oh. And so it starts with this ego deflation process. Then what they would do is they'd say, you have to get on your knees and surrender your will. Now, by the fifth day, fourth or fifth day, that person was totally intrigued by these people caring so much that they're coming right, in every day, every day. They're, they're reading the Bible with the guy, they're, they're obvious, they get all suited up, and they'd say, all right, Jack over here is going to be your sponsor. He has to decide whether you can come to our meetings or not. He will sponsor you in, like patching into a motorcycle club. <laughs> okay, that's where sponsorship came oh, from. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so what that does is that creates desire. I want to be a part it's of a that. It's a special private yes, club. Yes, <laughs> and and they have this spiritual answer, which was very intriguing. You're down in the pit, and Bill would tell his story of this spiritual awakening, seeing the white light, and this whole thing that we now know is because he was on Belladonna and DTing, right? <laughs> yeah. So so, but but he converted it into this massive spiritual upheaval, as he yeah. called it. And so the person would then get down on their knees, do all the requirements. But here was the additional requirement. The additional requirement is that he had to do the ego deflation with the next guy that goes in that bed. So he was patched into the club with a sponsor, which was an Oxford group. Out, they call it the, the drunk meetings, right? Yep. And which it was actually a, a first century Christian homeless movement. It really had nothing. The drunks separated themselves with Bill Wilson. So Bill was cherry picking out of the Oxford group, all the drunks, and then had this whole set situation set up with the hospital. Now what's interesting, treatment hasn't changed a wink. It's doing the same identical thing on a mass scale. So what Bill did was he was very successful in selling this idea of an exclusive club, 
and then getting people to to pull other people in to the to the cult and that's the way it worked and the requirement was that the new guy in order for him to stay sober this was the idea he had to go into that hospital ego deflate the next guy and pull him in or he himself would not stay sober so it was that's that the pyramid scheme. yeah that's the pyramid scheme and we've been doing that now for 70 years on a mass scale with the disease concept, with all these things. Bill was a mastermind in creating this. And you can read about it in AA Comes of Age, um, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, um, Pass It On, Bill Wilson. He wrote all this stuff. And you can also hear him talk about the fact that he wanted to call it the Bill W. Movement. And the people involved were like, no, yeah, that's, that's a little over the top, dude. He wanted you know? to wear the white robes. Yeah, yes, yeah, he, he was doing seances. He was he doing was acid. I mean, he was doing all kinds of wild, wild <clears throat> things. Um, but the point is, is that the system hasn't changed really since that single room at Towns Hospital. It worked. If you instill people with fear and a desire to belong... It yes. will trump. It will trump logic every time, or nearly every time, until you hit the outliers like us, where yeah. we where we question. We go, hey, that, that sounds strange. Well, yeah, it's not weird. only the same, but it's been completely embedded in the fabric of our government, our society, our culture. I mean, it's if you ask somebody that doesn't know a thing about addiction, what should where should somebody go for help? They'll tell you they should go to a meeting. Yeah. And they and they maybe yeah. have never been one to one themselves. Or maybe you should go to one of those great rehabs like yeah. uh, Betty Ford or Hazelden, right? Yes. And by the way, that's all twelve step, right? Yeah, and it's, it's just like infused system. everywhere. Which is why I get angry when like these rehabs in Florida are a real easy target, but when people are like, Oh, they're not getting the real oh, treatment I down know. there. I know. I'm like, you're falling for some crap. Yes. The real treatment is exactly what they're getting down there in Florida. AA. Yeah. <laughs> they're getting the all of it steps. is the same. It's, it's all the, equal. It's all the same thing. But so what I want to point out, and you like telling all of that tale, right, is that it doesn't look anything like treating a disease, right? Yeah, so let's right. just start there. This is a charade, and it's all about pressuring people to stay sober. And you've already got your family pressuring you to stay sober or your wife or whoever, right? Your husband. Um, people already face this pressure and it doesn't work. So the, the, the response in AA and rehab is, well, let's create more pressure. Yeah. That's the idea of group counseling is all to get you into a relationship with all this all these people where you feel pressured to stay sober and to conform for, and to conform yes. with them no it starts in as a child where you I was the outlier I was the pick on right I was and and I hated it but deep down inside I was like I knew that I was smarter than these kids <laughs> do you know what I mean because I was picked on I had to reflect on the fact that I don't fit and where do I fit in the world and it started me becoming a critical thinker. I was on the outside looking in. And so when the whole charade was put on me, I was like, fuck you. I'm not, I'm not just giving in. It, you know. And it was because I was smacked around, hurt, picked on, that I had a different mindset. I, yeah. I didn't just want to be accepted. I didn't have to be because I was alone when I was a kid. And I realized I survived that. I'm okay. You know? And, and then... So I didn't have to belong in this weird, bizarre club called treatment and AA. Now, 
eventually I did. Yeah. Because they worked on me because yeah. ha- I had no rights. That's when we intermingle government control, right, over your, your, your liberty. And then it becomes a, an imprisonment scenario, an implied imprisonment. And it's real, though. I mean, I couldn't get my driver's license. That's right. And I would always have a warrant for my arrest hanging yeah. over my head. I had no way out from under that. So I had to give in. Now, here's what's crazy. I should have just said it. And just yeah. played the game from right from one. the beginning. But part of being picked on played against <laughs> me, and that is, fuck you. I'm not giving in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it was, uh, I, you know, but it also made it so that I was able to work and, and see things uh, from the inside out. So it ended up in the long run being very good as a researcher. But, but Well, and this is what's yeah. the most troubling is we've had people come through our program, doctors, pilots, uh, um, licensed professional yeah. people who, you know, have the, the their livelihoods are, are heavy, hanging over their heads. We will not give you back your license unless you play the game. And the game isn't stay sober and drug free as much as the game is participate in recovery. Yeah, now yeah. that is a financial model. Yes. That sucker, they see big dollar signs with those yep. people. And that's one of the most corrupt scenarios in the whole treatment game because they see this guy makes $200,000 a year and he needs his license because he's invested 15 years of schooling and training. Yes. And and there's we can extract a shit ton that's of right. money out of this guy and keep him in the system until he... Until he gives in, and he gets his certificate and gets his license back. I mean, they have his entire life. Yeah. Hold. So you have to. You. It, it's not enough if you said to to the system, drug test me for the next six months. You know, six yeah. months I, or I whatever. Won't fly I won't for fly months. for six months. I'll stay. It, that's not enough. That's not enough. You don't. It, it's not enough if you just decide I'm not going to drink anymore. It's not enough for any of that. Um, you have to play the charade. Right. You have to play the game. You have to admit you're powerless. You have to admit you're you're an alcoholic or you're an yeah. addict. And you have to go to specialized treatment at a high-end retreat that oh. they choose for you. It's not a retreat. It's a rehab. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so used to saying our name. But so so they get to choose the facility, the gulag that you're going to be put into. <laughs> right. Right? right? The and, concentration <laughs> camp. <laughs> yeah. And that you're going to be indoctrinated, and and all your confidence, by the way, is going to go to the wayside here pretty quick when they convince you that you're this broken person. Here you are, a powerful guy or woman who who's done an extraordinary thing, like fly hundreds of people around the world, right? If you're right. a pilot, for instance, and all of a sudden they've reduced you to taking and stripping you of everything that you've done, and you're now reduced to you are an addict. You have to admit to that. No longer does any of the other accolades of your life. Or any other right. parts of you matter. You you are you're a total failure because you have this one issue. Yep, and then you have to. Which we don't think that, by the way. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that's that's what you're you're made to believe. Yeah. is that there's something you're broken, you're damaged. So so really quick because we've gone on for a while here. I think that what is the solution? The solution are facts. You you're not powerless. I want to tie this up at the end here. You're not powerless. You're not diseased. You you don't have to go to treatment. Most people don't and they get over the problem. The vast majority, over 90%. That's a fact. 
Well, um, you don't have to go to get over your problem. You might have to go to keep your pilot license. Yeah. yeah. Or and then you just play, and stay then play, out of jail. Don't do what I did. Just play the game. Well, <laughs> or there are other options. In most states in the U.S., um, 12-step meetings are, are, are now deemed to be religion. And you can't be mandated to go to religious uh, meeting or anything like that by the courts. Now, they still do it. They still do it, yeah. but they do it in a very covert way. Like here in New York, you go to treatment, right? You're mandated to go into a treatment program that's 12-step based. And the treatment program says in order to participate here, you have to go to AA meetings or NA meetings. And and so if you so desire, if, it, if you're just not willing to go in and play the game, and you can, by the way, play the game and not buy into any of it. That's right. It is pretty insidious, but, but you know, get our book, read it. You'll be fine. Yeah, keep a copy on hand. Keep a copy on hand. Don't show anybody because I'm sure that that's not allowed in there. But but if you want, you go and you find yourself an ACLU attorney and you fight it. Yeah. You know that that's the other option if that's the if that's the hill you want to die on. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there are people that'll do that. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, that's the control model and the freedom model. Obviously, we named it. When I came up with the concept of the control model, I said we are the freedom model. We're the opposite. And it's based on the fact that you are, uh, there is no loss of control. That's a myth. And once you understand that it's a myth, it'll no longer be an issue in your life. And you can move on with your life. You don't have to be in perpetual recovery. You don't have to do it. You just have to have a change in mindset and understand the truth. And the truth is you can get over this and move on with your life. You're not broken. Not broken. Not broken. You're not a bad person. All right. Well, I think we're, we're at the end. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, wants help in breaking free and moving past recovery as well, or if you're having, if you are in some kind of legal trouble with a with a professional license or driver's license or something like that, we may be able to help. Um, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites at thefreedommodel.org, leaveaddictionbehind.com, and soberforever.net. At thefreedommodel.org, there are a bunch of free resources and information available, including including videos, podcasts, and eBooks. Digital editions of our books are still available for free. Um, you can at um, thefreedommodel.org forward slash products to get the freedom model for addictions enter coupon code freedom 100 at checkout to get the freedom model for the family enter family 100 at checkout um follow us on social media including facebook twitter instagram linkedin and subscribe to the freedom model youtube channel there are three facebook groups that we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery they are the freedom model group Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. And there are some great Leaving AA and Deprogramming groups on Facebook as well. Um, if you need detox, you can call our friends at Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S-Detox.com. Um, they have two locations, and they can definitely help. So from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.